really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. Of course, as always, I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So it's Monday night. Got my big fat mug of tea. We had a ton of rugby to watch this weekend, so let's get right to our normal weekly segments. So starting as we always do with our current updates, and you know, for us, the week after Thanksgiving is Deck the Halls week for sure. The abode is festively festooned. We're headed down to Texas to see the in-laws for Christmas this year, and as far as my son is concerned, I mean, it simply can't come fast enough. We've had maybe three or even four trips to San Antonio canceled because of COVID over the last couple of years, but it looks like this one's actually going to happen, fingers crossed. And to be honest, it's going to be a treat to go somewhere where you literally don't need to own a winter coat at all. So I was just talking to my son about the fact that his mom never once saw snow on Christmas growing up, a fact that seems to have blown his tiny little mind Uh, The big thing we're all looking forward to is a place called the Witty Museum, where they have a massive dinosaur exhibit, a world-class fossil collection. We did go there once before, but he was so much younger, he only sort of partially remembers it. I'm sure he's going to love it so much more now. He's, you know, he's a massive dino buff. This is the first time the Weekly Pod is in a little bit of danger for not getting made, but I'm scheming up ways to make sure it happens even as we speak. So stay tuned for more on that. And wish us good travels, if you will. Well, for everyone out there who's been complaining about the game of rugby being too slow, there may be some good news on the horizon. So quoting here from the BBC, quote, a countdown shot clock timer on scrums, lineouts and kicks at goal could be introduced to help speed up the game before the Rugby World Cup. I think they mean the Men's World Cup. Uh, The sport's key stakeholders met last week to consider ways to improve the flow of international rugby. Other ideas include enhancing the in-stadium fan experience by broadcasting interactions between the referee and television match official. Uh, The proposals will be considered by World Rugby over the coming weeks. While this month's Men's Autumn Series has produced some compelling matches, uh, there has continued to be widespread disillusionment at the low ball and play time and the number of stoppages per game. The constant arrival on the pitch of water carriers will also be addressed by the game's authorities. So a countdown shot clock displayed on the big screens would encourage uh, teams to restart with greater urgency, they say, from set pieces, while kickers would be required to kick for goal within the time limits. While the limits of 60 seconds for a penalty and 90 seconds for a conversion are enshrined in law, they are rarely enforced. No kidding. With kickers regularly exceeding these times, the clock, which could be introduced as soon as next year, would help lighten the load on referees. A clock for kicks at goal is already in operation in France's top 14. So there's also a will to better engage the supporters in attendance by not only broadcasting the interactions between officials over the stadium loudspeakers, but also explaining on the big screen why an incident is being reviewed. World Rugby will consider the ideas before developing concrete proposals over the coming weeks. 
with a view to making changes in the short term without the need to change laws. After last week's meetings, which included a host of administrators, head coaches, and officials from the game's leading nations, rugby boss Sir Bill Beaumont labeled the conference as, quote, the first step towards a reimagination of the sport, double unquote. Well, I imagine the the process will be glacial as always, but hey, change is change, right? I will take it. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week have been about the semi-controversial addition of players' names to the backs of their jerseys. So here's a bit of an article I just found about this. Quote, the Autumn Nation series has seen England, Scotland, Italy, and Japan opt to wear players' names on their jerseys uh, in a bid to bring fans closer to the players, they say. Uh, The Rugby Football Union led the charge, claiming they hoped their decision would encourage other teams to follow suit. Quote, we are delighted to be featuring player names on the back of England shirts for our men's international test matches this autumn. We hope this will lead the way for us to consider names on shirts to further promote our world-class England international players participating in other international tournaments across the men's and women's game, unquote. RFU chief Bill Sweeney said, I can't believe I've quoted Bill Sweeney twice in two segments. Anyway, uh, while fans and players will always take ultimate pride in flying the flag and wearing the rose to support... England rugby teams, we think player names on shirts will have the potential to bring fans closer to the international stars of our game, and we look forward to seeing the reaction to this initiative, unquote. Uh, Names on the backs of players pushes for inclusivity for new fans ranging from a basic understanding of the game to no understanding at all. The names allow for quick identification of the players themselves, which some may argue is already achieved through position-specific numbers. However, those newer to the game may not know who is in the starting lineup or even in the wider squad for that matter. Yeah, no kidding. So as a result, fans can pick up on which players resonate with them in terms of style or skill set. For example, casual viewers may follow popular players such as Marcus Smith and track him on the field, getting a better understanding of the role of a fly half whilst they learn the uh, rest of the team through their accessible names, unquote. So, I mean... I've been in favor of this for a long time for all the obvious reasons, but then I have a a sneaky one here. Okay. There would be an opportunity to get some really sarcastic gear. Like if there was a player who usually plays one position, but one day had to play another and you know, it didn't go so well. Well, you could get that number with the player's name just to rub it in. So like, so two weeks ago, Michael Hooper, great player. He had to make a line-out throw and absolutely muffed it. I mean, as I just said, great player, incredible player, clearly. But that's just not what he does, right? So if you had like a really annoying Australian friend, you could buy them a Hooper number two jersey just to rub it in. Uh, think about the Blair Kinghorn situation. You could go either way, sending a number 15 jersey to somebody who likes him at 10 and vice versa. The passive-aggressive sarcasm options would be off the charts. Tell me there's no market for that. Come on. Because I would be lining up right now. So that, of course, brings us to our, our reviews of the week. And, you know, before we get stuck in, as they say, I wanted to revisit our newest feature. So every week during these reviews, I tend to label one match the SmackDown of the week. Uh, last week, I realized. I could make that into sort of like a, a little weekly bit and sort of put out the first official poll asking who would be on the receiving end of a massive loss. The aptly named Dr. Worthy asked what exactly consulted a smackdown. So so to be clear, for me, 
I meant the team that would lose by the largest margin. So our options this week, as I put them out there on Twitter, were A, Bath at home for Harlequins, B, Dragons away to Stormers, or C, Perpignan away to Toulouse. 70% of you said it would be Bath, though to me, you know, they were the least likely actually to win this ignoble contest. Under pressure, I would have picked Dragons uh, by virtue of the Welsh team's records in South Africa and the fact that Stormers are the reigning champs and might still be the best team in the URC. So this week, we're starting with the URC anyway, so we'll certainly revisit this very shortly. So in the URC, Friday, we began the weekend with Sharks versus Ospreys, and although it didn't look good at all for Ospreys, suddenly they snuck back in and converted, uh, and suddenly they were in a position where a converted try would win it for them. I was finally getting interested going into the final quarter, but it was Kerwin Bosch boshing his way through Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried to stop myself. Mea culpa. I'm putting on a hair shirt. Sorry about that. But anyway, his late try was the difference. He added another coolly converting it as well, and more on him later. 25-10 to 10 was the final score in this one. Next up was Edinburgh versus Munster. You know, and there was a weird phrase I heard a couple of times throughout this match. The phrase was, Van der Merva passes the ball. And, you know, while I know all those words, certainly I'm just... Not sure I've ever heard them in that particular order before. It's weird. <laughs> Edinburgh, they looked like absolute fire to start, but Munster grinded, ground, grinded, ground, uh, their way back in and took the lead early in the second half, extending it not long after. If momentum in sports exists, they definitely had it in Edinburgh. Wouldn't find a single point in the entire second half. I mean, are they Glasgow last year? A uh, side note, by the way, I really like Hussein. Um, but I just don't think he's clicked with the overall team just yet. It's like he's in a different film than everybody else. But I do think, here's my scrum of the earth prediction, he will uh, find his way and that will change in the coming weeks. I think he's going to be an incredibly valuable tool for them once they're all playing on the same page. So 17 to 38 was the disappointing result for the home team. So on Saturday, Stormers versus Dragons was up, and with 21 points in as many minutes, it was looking like Dragons were indeed a top contender for the SmackDown of the week. By halftime, Dragons' only points were from an intercept. Their actual offense had zilch. Uh, but they definitely found a spark in the second half. A oh, great stat here. Dragons have never beaten any of the current URC teams from South Africa. The last time they built a, uh, beat a South African opponent was a three-point win over the Cheetahs, who aren't even part of the competition now. Yikes. So to their credit, though, they did claw their way back to within eight points very late, but that's where the final line would stay. A bit odd at the end there. Uh, they were on their way back in their own territory with the clock red, but rather than trying for the admittedly unlikely losing bonus point, they just kicked it out. So I know it would have been a miracle at that point, but on the other hand, if they'd coughed it up and conceded another try, it literally wouldn't have made any difference. So a little unclear. Anyway, next up was Zebra versus Glasgow. Glasgow, we're looking to remain beaten on the road. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't resist. In fact, the comms started us off with saying, well, it's the team that can't win on the road versus the team that can't win anywhere. The URC, feel the excitement. In any event, it was a dreary and drizzly day in, uh, I guess it was Parma, and, you know, an offensive clinic, it was not. Uh, quick aside, any of you who watched this, 
Did you notice the weird clicking sound on audio? It was like a cable was slightly loose somewhere in its connector or something. Really irritating, but hard to put your finger on. Uh, much like Glasgow. No, just I'm not going there. Glasgow, they found a terrific 10 minutes or so in the second half, getting two rapid tries to build a nice lead, much to the disappointment of the 17 fans on hand. Zebra had never beaten the Warriors. Glasgow 19 and 0 over the history between these two sides. The visitors turned it into a bit of a snore, making it 20 in a row by the end, adding an insult to injury try with the clock well read. It was 17 to 45. Yikes. Then it was Connacht versus Benetton. It was a gray day in Galway, but I have to say, this Benetton kit that they had, it is sweet. It's like somewhere between the, the dark blue Leinster and the Montpellier kit, like just class all the way. <laughs> little humorous moment where Grafton, the Benetton number five, was being chastised by the ref about their constantly closing the gap during lineouts. And he asked, well, how much gap do you need? The comms, <laughs> they went to town. It's a meter. You need a meter. You're 29. If you don't know about that by now, ah, like it was so funny. Classic stuff. So at halftime, though, it was a beautiful and melancholy shot of the bay stretching out into the pale blue mist just so lovely i love watching these games late in the match a red card against benetton seemed to wrap things up and my boys they bounced back from their disappointing trip to limerick with a nice 38 to 19 double up bonus point victory at the sports ground then it was bulls versus cardiff uh, cardiff and at loftus the Bulls weren't about to endure the same result as the Sharks did last week, dispatching their Welsh guests with alacrity, scoring six tries to Cardiff's zero. Uh, four of those came in the second 40 minutes as they really put the pedal down while their guests were busy, you know, not scoring a point. A uh, bit of a letdown after last week, but, you know, perhaps that was to be expected. In fact, that really should have been on my SmackDown of the Week radar, I guess. Uh, maybe that should have been one of the options. At 45 to 9, it was our largest margin margin of the weekend thus far. Youch. So then it was Leinster versus Ulster, and I need to take a second to get ready for this one. So this one was definitely your game of the week leading into the URC weekend. And right at the top, the comps proclaimed it would be <laughs> I loved this. They said it was gonna be fast and furious frenetic and tempestuous, which I don't know, it totally cracked me up despite it doubtless being true. So, you know, right at the end of the first quarter, Kean Healy got a, a red card for a headshot. So it was going to be the Ulsterman with a player advantage for a full 60 minutes. But I wrote, would that be enough? Oh no. Then right around 45 minutes, it was that thing. Oh God, I don't like it. We've seen it a lot lately, a lot with a player getting cold cocked, and in this case, it was my guy, John Cooney, on the wrong end of a James Lowe elbow. Definitely just an accident, by the way. Um, but Cooney, he did that thing where your limbs kind of clinch, and he made a pose like a dead bug on the turf. It's uh, so awful to see. Right on cue, Leinster came storming back, found themselves within five when Ulster got pinged for a yellow, and when Ulster got a second yellow card almost immediately after that, the writing was on the wall, you know, with a quarter hour left, Leinster had their first lead since like minute three, and it didn't take a genius, thankfully, <laughs> to see who was going to get the win on this day. Two consecutive cards with the visitors sealed the deal. It was unbeaten Leinster, continuing that trend with another victory of the RDS, 38 to 29, and it never felt that close. They are a truly frightening team, said Captain Obvious.
So on Sunday, it was Lions versus Scarlets, the final fixture of this mini Welsh tour of the Rainbow Nation. And by the end, our number of total wins for them remained one. Uh, the final score was more than a double up. It was 32 to 15. That was only after a garbage time try for the Scarlets at the 82nd minute. Just, you know, not a great showing overall. It's also worth noting the visitors managed three tries, but couldn't convert even one. You know, though, to be fair, I suspect that's nowhere near the top of the list of work-ons going forward. Uh, three yellows in this one, too. Does anyone else feel like there have been an inordinate uh, number of cards this year in general? Very strange. So, wrapping it up, after all these results, we had some significant movement on the league table with Ulster dropping to fourth and South African teams Bulls and Stormers jumping into the second and third slots. Lions are now fifth leaving the Sharks as the lowest of the South African bunch way down in 10th. Uh, to be fair, they've only played seven games, though, so uh, everyone above them has played either eight or nine. In fact, nine through 12 is a massive logjam with Glasgow at 20 points, Sharks, Connacht, and Benetton all in 19. The bottom three are Ospreys and Scarlet with just one win apiece. And then, of course, uh, Zebre, they're stranded on the goose egg. Ouch. Okay, moving over to the Gallagher Premiership on Friday. It was Bath versus Harlequins. That one was up first, and while we all were collectively right that Bath would lose, you know, it was never near a smackdown. Uh, Quins, they jumped out early and then just kind of put it on cruise control, even allowing Bath to make it close, but still grabbing yet another road win. It was 13-19 to 19 by the end of this one. And then on Saturday, the lowly Irish versus Newcastle Falcons. You know, I found a couple interesting numbers in this one. For instance, London Irish have players from 13 different countries on their team. That's that's pretty damn cool. But as for the game itself, you know, in the first half, London Irish made 38 tackles to the Falcons' 107. I'm going to say it again, 107. And I don't know exactly what that tells us, but it ain't great. I do know that the Exiles would get their second win of the year in emphatic style, besting the inexplicable Falcons 39 to 17. Then Gloucester versus Northampton. Gloucester looked right back to the team we saw early in the year. I have to say, once Northampton get behind, you know, they really struggle to find any purchase. With the Rush album for a halftime score, the Cherry and Whites kept the momentum in the second half as well, got back to their winning ways. A phrase I never actually thought I would use in regards to Gloucester, but it was 34 to 19 by the end. Oh, uh, funny side note on the official premiership website. They, of course, you know, try to list the attendance for all of these games with Bath drawing 14,000 plus almost 7,000 coming to see the London Irish. And for this one, zero. <laughs> That's cold, man. So finally, it was Bristol Bears versus Leicester Tigers. And, you know, right at the start, they highlighted the great Stephen Luatua, referring to him as Papa Bear, which seems, I don't know, either really, really cute or way out of line. But, you know, to be honest, I, I don't think the man would have actually been bothered by that, even a little bit. In any event, I thought Bristol looked very good at the first half. Uh, the reigning champs just kind of looked bum-fuzzled out there, to borrow a term from the West Wing. That one was for you, Craig. Uh, around 25 minutes, it was Charles Piatow with a thing of beauty in the right corner. And as he crashed over the try line, got landed on, then had multiple teammates roughly, you know, patting his head, did one single hair, 
move one fraction of an inch on his head, please. You know it did not. So naturally, my reward for saying Bristol looked very strong was they conceded a yellow, of which Lester took full advantage, and the comms said, Tiger's looking very muscular at this stage, which also kind of cracked me up. So as they headed to, uh, to the locker room up 12 to 23, um, by the way, here's one for you. Lester didn't concede their first penalty until the 48th minute. Not sure I've ever seen that before. In fact, until that moment, the penalty count was 10-0. And, and then an even better stat came along. All seven Leicester backs in the field at that moment were England internationals. Again, a first. Apparently, there have been 13 instances where a team was fielding six of those backs that were internationals out of the seven. But this was all new, so wow. Anywho, Bristol, they squandered multiple, as the comms put it, ironclad try opportunities, and it's it's hard to know exactly what's up with them right now. So, with just the final quarter to play, Dan Cole came off, and I was struck by another bizarre revelation. We have Dan Cole, and we have a Dane Coles. Same name, except an extra letter on the end of each name. Both are front rowers, no less. I mean, have any of you seen them in the same room at the same time? Because I'm starting to have questions about that. In any event, I feel sure I've spent way too much time on this one. Uh, The 14-point margin enjoyed by the visitors at that moment didn't appear to be going anywhere. Wait, 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 wait. One more side note, with all the controversy around how, you know, cards are divvied out these days, nobody has mentioned an additional problem, which is the comms constantly weighing in on what a particular violation should mean. So, you know, often something happens, and before even the first TMO review, the comms will say, oh, that's definitely a red, or "Ah, that was just a rugby incident, only to find out that the officials didn't view it that way at all. The number of times someone on comms announces what the outcome, you know, has to be, as they say, only to be negated by the actual ruling. I mean, it just makes everyone look kind of dumb, you know? So how about this? Wait until the judgment has come through, and then, if you must, I mean, if you absolutely must, then say why you think it was correct or incorrect, yeah? Like, these same comms like to say how the audience is always confused because they don't know what, how the ruling has gone, but they're way too happy to do the ref's job for them ahead of time. Ultimately, it just makes the whole issue more convoluted. Hey, comms, particularly in the prem, put a sock in it, will you? So, in fact, as Bristol tied it up and sought a shocking comeback victory, the comms outright told us that the ref got a call wrong at the scrum and that a penalty should have gone to the Tigers, and it erroneously instead went the way of the Bears. I mean, don't tell us the result we're about to see is invalid, right? I was even rooting for Bristol when that happened, and I was suddenly like, oh, wait, if they win now, it's a sham. Y'all are killing me with this here. Anyway, it was down to AJ to steal the, I'm told, unfair and incorrect win for the home team. So thanks, comps, for making me root against perhaps our greatest current USA Eagle. Really great feeling. Thanks. Anyway, the kick did go awry, however, and what a crap way to end a round. It was 26 to all in a draw. So as I've said, this was the last weekend where we'd have just four games per week in the premiership. After the first two weeks of the EPCR fixtures, we'll be getting five again. Yay. Which will be nice. As, As things stand now, things have evened out in terms of games played with Northampton uh, having 10 completed fixtures, 
The other teams all on nine. Saracens are still be unbeaten and 11 points clear of number two sale with Harlequins and Gloucester coming in at third and fourth. Leicester, they hold a tiebreaker edge over the Saints, although they're locked at 24 league points with Exeter at 21 and surprising Bath at 18. Good for them. The bottom three all share point totals 17 apiece. And they, of course, are Newcastle, London Irish, and Bristol at the tail end. Leicester, North, uh, Northampton, and Exeter are all within easy striking distance of that elusive top four. So after the next two weeks, expect things to get very interesting indeed. The big question, who, if anyone, can beat the series this year? Okay, got to keep the ship moving. We got to move over to the top 14. And on Saturday, it was Claremont versus Montpellier. That was our first offering of the weekend. It was nice to see Luke Pierce and the Michelin man on hand. Although I, I, I have to be honest, I suspected one of them has started to dye their hair. Anyway, no tries in the first half, a bit of a, a pitcher's duel, as they say. But George Bridge, Montpellier's le uh, latest acquisition from New Zealand, he broke that trend early in the second half. Side note. Remember several weeks ago when I suggested, given how frequently players get pantsed on the on the field, that players, you know, think a little bit more about their choices of undergarments? Well, Claremont, clearly, listen to me. And, uh, you know, I'll leave it at that for now. Thanks, boys. Uh, this one turned into a nail-biter. The home team up 16-14 to 14 enter the, entering the final quarter. And Claremont would go on to break their four-game losing streak, prevailing 19-14 to 14 over their favored guests. Nice job. Then my Border Beagles were up against Breve. This was one of those that had no English commentary, no mics on the field, and comms in French. Like, and obviously, I don't mind the comms in French. It's that the, the comms only appeared every now and then, like long stretches of silence. Then two people suddenly, out of nowhere, animatedly chatting about the action. You know, it's as the French would say, bizarre. Uh, nevertheless, Bordeaux, they look dominant at home, handily dispatching Breve to the tune of 33-13. to 13. Good work, fellas. So then, it was Bayon versus Lyon. You know, it was absolutely bucketing down. Just a deluge. But you gotta love the French crowds. They were singing and carrying on like it was the first day of spring. Uh, you may have seen the pic I posted to Twitter showing the mascot horse being pulled across the field on skis by two dudes on bicycles. At which moment I wondered, honestly wondered, if I had finally had a total break from reality. Uh, if surreal is your thing, you want the top 14. That's for damn sure. In any event, both teams struggled in the conditions, and in the end, the visitors only had a single try in them, losing away 19-7 to in a truly weird one. Then, it was another uh, previously highlighted match. It was Toulouse versus Perpignan. This was our third option for the potential SmackDown with the top team facing the second worst. And sadly, it was another one where there was no English commentary and no on-field audio. Very disappointing. I'd really, you know, marked this one on the old calendar. I was really psyched. But, you know, in the end, it wasn't much of a smackdown, though it was a nice win for the home side. It was Toulouse 34, Perpignan 13 for a 21-point margin. Stade Francais versus La Rochelle was the last Saturday fixture this one was entirely en français, but you know what? I watched it anyway, from start to finish. Felt like a little vacation, I guess, to the south of France, or somewhere in France, or maybe Quebec. <laughs> Instead, uh, they kept up the home trend, almost doubling up their guests. It was 27 to 14. Quel fromage! 
Sunday we had Cass versus Poe, or at least someone might have, but here Flo botched the footage yet again. So it was just an hour and a half of multi-sport on a splash screen, you know, the whole time. Well done, guys, once again. Of course, I did find the score, which bummed me out because it looked like it was an incredibly close game. 26 to 22, all told. The last match of the round was Toulon versus Racing 92. It probably provided more comedy than good rugby, at least in the first half. You know, first off, they mentioned that this week all top 14 officials are from other countries. And they said, per the rules leading into the European competitions. What? Anyone care to enlighten me? Like, that's a new one. What's that all about? Anyway, that, that obviously wasn't the funny bit. The funny bit was a shot of Mathieu Bastreau on the sidelines. First of all, wearing these, like, thick-rimmed glasses, looking like an existentialist poet. But as the halftime hooter sounded, it clearly scared the crap out of him. He actually jumped, which had the, the comms and myself, to be fair, in stitches. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Um, there was some real weirdness in this one as well, including a disallowed conversion kick. And Johnny Beatty was killing Toulon at the end for their lack of defense. Rassing, they were methodical as always, embarrassing their hosts 14 to 31. And that was how my week of rugby would end. So apart from the Rassing road win, that was, of course, a clean sweep for the home teams in France. Once again, Toulouse, of course, remain at the top of the top 14. Uh, more than tripling the league points of bottom-feeding Brive. Oh yes, it turned out our predictions for the SmackDown of the Week were all off, as the actual winner ended up being ooh, Cardiff, who were smashed back down to earth by a massive 36-point margin, a gap that represented more points than they scored total the week before in their shutout. You know, let's see if we can get it right this coming week, eh? Um, so, that's it, my friends. Uh, Put a cap on things until we come back after the next two rounds in Europe. Get psyched. So by that music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to... Kerwin Bosch. Mr. Bosch, you were unavailable the entire season thus far, and there were real concerns about how you'd fare upon your return. You immediately proved all the doubters wrong, leading your squad in your player of the match performance, telling 15 of your team's 25 total points, showing a measure of finesse and control unmatched elsewhere this round. Last year, many people blamed you for what they saw as your team's underwhelming results in the URC. So, in your first game back, it was great to see you taking it to the next level. Amazing job, and congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. You absolutely deserve all the accolades and plaudits undoubtedly pouring in. Well done, sir. Well, that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews. And as we, of course, mentioned last week, next weekend, there will be no URC. There will be no Premiership. There will be no top 14 matches. Why? Because the European Cups have arrived. I love these competitions. 
I don't pretend to understand all the nuances that go into building these uh, different fields, but, you know, <laughs> I'm more than happy to just kind of sit back and let it all wash over me, you know? In any event, as I was preparing my notes, I realized I had way too much to chat about leading up to these competitions, so I went ahead and did yet another bonus episode previewing the action Next week, my special guest was returning friend of the pod, Johnny McGinty from the Scottish Rugby Podcast. That one dropped last Friday, so I'd urge you to go give it a listen between now and the end of this week. As you probably know, it'll be two weeks of Europe, followed by the traditional Christmas derbies. Oh, so good. And we'll also get the second leg of the uh, HSBC7s. So, you know, if you haven't found that elusive holiday spirit, man, just sit back. Let rugby Take care of it for you, right? Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And I have to admit, it was tough to pay too much attention this week with Europe right around the corner. Again, if you haven't checked out our preview featuring Johnny McGinty, you still have time before Friday, and I would highly recommend it. He's terrific. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well.